Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Welcome to Extra Point Taken. I'm Shield Kapati. As always, joined by Ben Solak. After Monday Night Football, I can't say this is one we'll be telling our grandkids about, you know, bouncing them on a 32-13, the the night that Jacoby Brissett and the Browns beat the Bengals 32-13. But that was the final score, a sleepy first half, a busy second half in which the Browns took over, took control of the game. This is maybe the fastest we've ever started a pod after Monday Night Football because we really didn't need to focus in there on the final two minutes. Benjamin Solak. How are we doing? I will be telling my kids about this game because the under should okay. have cashed and it is unreasonable <laughs> that it did not. I hate garbage time so much. It was a it was a very interesting gambling weekend. I mean, there were a bunch of games that were decided at the very end and you end on the right side of some of them, like a little uh, PJ Walker. And then you end on the wrong side of them, like Bills. How are you not covering 10 and a half in that game oh. that you dominated the entire time? But that's, oh, listen. Bills not covering was ugly. <laughs> those I, None of my takes will be gambling related today. If you're joining us for the first time, here's how it works. Extra point taken means we each offer three takes from the week that was, and one of us ends it with an extra point. As always, we start with the game we just watched. Ben, you were on Monday Night Football duty today. What's your takeaway from a game like this? Yeah, it's tricky. I don't want to do a like Bengals writ large takeaway because they're just so banged up, right? It's hard to say like, Oh, the Bengals are in trouble. Like they just like they had no interior defensive line. You saw how much that mattered. They lost Shadobia Wouzier during this game. You saw how much that mattered in the passing game. There's no Jamar Chase in this game, which is kind of what I'm going to talk about. But it, it's I don't want to like do a hold right off the Bengals take. Nor do you want to do like a Browns are back take for the exact same reason because it's like yeah, you should be able to run the ball against this team given the interior issues. I was really big on Atlanta upsetting Cincinnati last week because of that. Forgot that Atlanta was going to have massive corner injuries. It's just the nature of midseason NFL football. But you should be able to run the ball on a team like the Bengals when they're dealing with this. And then defensively, yeah, I mean, you you, you generate your pass rush and that's how you win. So like large-scale takeaways with the team as banged up as the Bengals were, I feel like is tough. What I will say is it's really scary like seeing Joe Burrow without Jamar Chase again was a stark reminder of what Joe Burrow looked like before Jamar Chase, right? You remember that season when the Bengals hadn't drafted Jamar Chase yet? And like they get a pass for like young quarterback and young coach and they were still figuring everything out. Like I'm not going to be like, wow, Burrow is exactly what he was in 2020 now that he doesn't have Jamar Chase in 2022. 
but the inability of the Bengals to get the football down the field in any meaningful way without Jamar Chase was terrifying, right? So much of the of, of Bengals offseason conversation, Super Bowl run conversation went like this. You have Joe Burrow, you have Jamar Chase, and then you also have T. Higgins on the outside. You can get if they take away Chase, you can go for Higgins, and you just have these two skyscrapers who win on the outside, one one-on-one, pick your poison, and then you remove Jamar Chase, and it's like, okay, huge T. Higgins opportunity. And he's just nowhere for the first three and a half quarters, right? Big touchdown, garbage time catch kind of, you know, makes the stats look a little bit better. But he was erased by a a, a secondary that was largely playing him with Greedy Williams and Martin Emerson, man. Uh, didn't, you know, didn't separate, right? He was asking for flags. Didn't win his contested balls until late. You lose Jamar Chase, and all of a sudden this becomes a quick passing team, which they've been deciding to be a quick passing team in recent weeks. Don't get me wrong. Uh, in terms of, of of time to throw, the Bengals started this season, a ton of their attempts, uh, more than three seconds. Burrow's holding onto the ball. He's rolling out. They had uh, against Pittsburgh, against Dallas, against the Jets, which are their, their weeks one, two, and three games. Attempts over three uh, three seconds was like 10% of their offense, 15% of the offense. They're still generally quick game, but they were pushing the ball down the field. This game, this game against the, the Browns, their quick game and everything is behind the line of scrimmage. They had over 30% of their passing attempts targets behind the line of scrimmage in this game without chase they just shrunk man just shrinking violet and that's scary because that's not going away for the next four weeks and i don't know if i trust this coaching staff to do what's necessary to open that up i don't know if i trust this offensive line to protect long enough to open that up like this is the some of the regression that we were talking about so my guess my first point from monday night football is we talked a lot in the pre in the 2021 season about how Joe Burrow had developed, developed into the superstar quarterback that was like defining the Bengals' season. I think Jamar Chase was a superstar wide receiver who was defining the Bengals' season. And I think Joe Burrow is a very good player, but it feels right now like Jamar Chase was really that keystone. Like Jamar Chase was really that key cog, and losing him makes this just an ugly-looking offense. Well, I think Bengals fans would probably hear that and be a little sensitive and be like, you you know, you're taking a jab at Joe Burrow, which I know you're not doing. I think it's a uh, it's a league wide. I mean, look at the zoom out a little bit and look at it league wide. Yeah, the Bengals without mm-hmm. look at what these number one wide receivers do for these offenses. I mean, it's everywhere. It's one of the stories of the season this year. A.J. Brown with the Eagles. Oh, totally changes their entire offense. Tyreek Hill with the Dolphins. Oh, totally changes their entire offense. Uh, the Packers without Devontae Adams. Totally changes their entire offense for the worse. Like it matters having that guy, having that problem solver and chase. I would put him like at the top of the list with those wide receivers because of what he can do with the ball in his hands, what he can do to stretch the field. He's the guy on Tuesday, the defensive coordinator. All right. What is our plan for Jamar chase? They've got other good players. You mentioned it. T Higgins is a good player. Tyler Boyd is a good player, but they're not the ones that keep you up at night if you're a defensive coordinator. And so to me, that's what really stuck out, you know, to go with what you're saying. I, I still very much believe in Joe, Burrow, uh, you know, in this situation, I'm going to give him a little bit uh, of a pat. You know, I, I feel Same, like, yeah. like, like, like you said, I mean, I, I don't think anyone's really believed that this coaching staff is giving their offense like huge schematic advantages, like some of the other offenses we see in the NFL. Then you look at the offensive line, below average offensive line still, and now you lose Chase and it's your first time playing without him uh, this season. And so uh, let's see what it looks like for the next few weeks. I mean, it could be a, a month-long issue or however long until he's back because Chase is just that freaking good that he changes everything and you build a lot of stuff around his ability 
uh, he's a problem solver in high leverage situations. Right. That Saints game, I mean, he just makes the 62-yard catch and run and like that that wins you the game. And how many instances yes. of that have we seen in two years? So yeah, I think it's uh, it's fair to be concerned about that. I don't think it says anything, you know, about Burrow. I think it says like some of these guys, the top whatever, five, eight guys at wide receiver can really totally make over some of these offenses. I think the framework to me is if in the off season, and like, I don't want to like pick on Bengals fans. Bengals fans have been uh, notoriously pugnacious since their 2021 season run. And they get upset with a lot of people in the media for being like, hey, this four seed from the AFC North that's getting really good defensive play, like maybe isn't that great of a team in the playoffs. Like, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons for that. I understand that. So I don't want to like, go at Bengals fans. But I think if you had polled Cincinnati fans and even like NFL analysts writ large before I said writ large too many times already on this podcast. If you if you polled them in the in, in the summer and you had said who's closer, you have to pick one. Who's closer? Joe Burrow to being a top five quarterback or Jamar Chase to being a top five receiver. I think the the outstanding majority of both Bengals fans and analysts would have picked Burrow as closer to being a top five quarterback than Chase being a top five receiver. I don't know that I agree with that. I think that that would have been the general consensus, at least among Bengals fans. And I think the longer this goes, the more evidence we had that like Burrow, who is a good quarterback, clearly above average, clearly good, clearly a positive to his team, is much further away from being like a top five guy than Chase is to being a top five receiver. Because it's very difficult to rank receivers. It, it, it You can win at the position in so many ways that like 95 different rankings make sense. But right now, man, like uh, Chase is somewhere between like six and nine. You know what I'm saying? He's right on the fringe for me of that top five group. Oh, I think he's there. I mean, Chase, Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Tyreek okay. Hill, A.J. Brown. Who am I missing? Hill, Cup, Jefferson, and Brown. I think you cannot get out of the top five. I have a particular affinity for Debo Samuel that I would understand if others are uh, hesitant of. I would also say that Josh McDaniel's failures should not so quickly expunge Devontae Adams in the top five conversation as well. Like, yeah. Devontae's still that guy. Uh, they got to find a way to get him the football, but he is. So to me, it's like, like Chase is in that second tier still with, with the ability to kind of work up in, into that first tier. But I think he's closer uh, to, to, to making that jump than Burrow is to making the top five quarterback jump. Yeah, I think at quarterback, and, and we can end on, on this, I mean, the only guys who I feel like could do it without I'm not worried about their supporting cast at all or Mahomes and Allen. I'll put them in that category. You drop them into any offense and I'm saying they're going to light it up. I feel like pretty much everybody else needs uh, help. And so I, I still have Burrow right there among the, you know, if you ask me what quarterbacks do I want for the next decade, uh, I don't think I could name five uh, ahead of Joe Burrow. I still have him there, but it'll be interesting to see what it looks like here without Jamar Chase. All right, my first take. We're going we're gonna to move off of this game. We're going to move to the Sunday games. Pete Carroll is the coach of the year in the NFL through eight weeks. Oh, oh yes. That's my take. That's such a good take. And Ooh, I, I, owe you an apo- I owe you an apology, Pete. I covered you for a couple of years in Seattle. I thought you were going to say you owed me an apology. I was like, oh, cool. No, <laughs> no, it's no, okay. no, I'm not apologizing to you. It'll be week, week 24 before that happens. Uh, I thought this team was going to crater this year. I thought they'd be in the mix for a top five pick. I remember saying on this ringer NFL feed that the best thing for the Seahawks might be to suck, go get uh, Bryce Young or whoever. And guess what? It'll only be one down year and you'll be back in it. I mocked you for Geno Smith and Drew Locke, Drew Locke quarterback competition. I laughed in your face. I I ripped you guys for putting these unknown rookies 
in, in at tackle at cornerback. No one does. You don't play rookies at, at those positions. Island positions. Yeah, in the NFL, and and you're fine with it. Well, guess what? Through eight weeks, the Seahawks are five and three and in first place in the NFC West. On Sunday, they beat the Giants twenty-seven to thirteen, and there were a few moments in this game that really stood out to me. One. They have a drive in the second quarter where they face a fourth and one in the red zone. Carroll has been notoriously conservative in these spots. He goes for it. Then they have a fourth and two on the same drive. They go for it again. They score a touchdown later in the game. This this spoke to culture to me. Tyler Lockett drops a short touchdown down the right sideline. What do you see on the sideline? You see Carroll. You see Geno Smith. You see veterans. Everyone going up to Tyler Lockett. Not only that. They call they, they call a double move for him against the Dory Jackson, who was having a great game until great then. Great season. Lo, yeah, great season. Lockett smokes him down the right sideline. Geno Smith throws another dime. Touchdown to Tyler Lockett. Redemption. And then maybe my favorite, and the one that really made me think of this take, is late in the fourth quarter of this game, Geno Smith scrambles for a first down on third and eight. Pete Carroll is so fired up. Basically runs onto the field. The official bumps into him throws a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct. But you can see it on Pete Carroll's face. He loves coaching this team. And what did we hear? And I know I've probably written it or said it somewhere. Oldest coach in the NFL. Now he's going to trade Russell Wilson and go to Geno Smith. And you're telling me they're going to be able to rebuild? Guess what? They have their over-under for wins, five and a half. They've already got five wins. Only the Falcons and the Texans had lower over-unders. And here's what I think I underestimated uh, about Pete Carroll, and and I probably do this with other coaches, and and we'll probably do it on this podcast later, is sometimes they earn the benefit of the doubt and they know their team better than you know their team. And I I was there with Mm -hmm. everyone. Let Let Russ cook. Be aggressive on fourth down. All these things. And listen, some of that I think was fair. If you look back at you know some of those teams, I think the criticism was fair. But look at how he's coaching now. Now he's combining all his great qualities, leadership, culture, motivation, a team that plays with joy. What did we talk about last week? I hate the Chargers. The Chargers play with no joy. You know what team plays with more right. joy than maybe anyone in the NFL right now? The Seattle Seahawks. He's combining that, and you can tell he loves the offense. They're passing the ball at a very high rate. Geno Smith might have a better understanding of the offense he plays in as much as any quarterback in the NFL. I mean, you watch them play. He knows where the answers are to, uh, you know, all the issues that defenses are throwing his way. Pete Carroll's being aggressive, as I mentioned, on fourth down because he believes in his offense. This man is, what, 48 games over 500 as the head coach of the Seahawks. They've been in the playoffs nine of 12 seasons. I thought they were not getting back there this year. They got a great shot to get back there this year, whether they win the division or get in as a wild card. And so uh, Pete Carroll, I apologize. I shouldn't have doubted you as much as I did going into this season. You are doing a fantastic job. Your team is fun to watch. I, I get this wrong every week. Greater than the sum of the parts. The whole is greater than greater the sum, than of, the sum of the parts. Yep. That is coaching. That That's all that matters in coaching. And you're doing it. What do you think? Do you see the clip of him that's kind of circling around on Twitter of him kind of, you know, taking a little victory lap, taking a whiff? Yeah. He, uh, thank yeah. you for not tagging me, Seahawks. I mean, you could have tagged a number of people. You could have tagged me. We got the Cable Thanos uh, putting the the great Seahawks video uh, out there again. I'm watching that, holding my breath, going, all right, am I going to be in here or not? Thank you for not including me in that. But I'll call myself out because I had a lot of those takes. So, yeah, I have to own up to it. Yeah, the uh, the video I'm referring to, Pete in, in his presser basically saying, you know, people said I was the oldest coach. People said I couldn't kind of keep up with the new stuff. 
people said, yeah. you know, we, we, uh, you know, I wasn't going to cut it. And then he said, and I quote, that's a load of crap. <laughs> he just looks so <laughs> happy to say it. He's just feeling it. Um, and it's an interesting point because the Seahawks are extremely pass happy, right? Neutral down pass rate up first and 10 pass rate, pass over expectation up, 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 up. They're being aggressive on fourth down. They're going for it. Uh, why wasn't this happening with Russ over the end of his career? The Seahawks would love to say, uh, we always wanted to be this forever. We couldn't be this because of Russ, right? It's just like Russ's play style. Like we go for on fourth and one, he throw it 45 yards down the field, right? Like we needed to be like, uh, like, you know, uh, under center run, under center run, play action, play action, play action. Like we had to be that with Russ. So we couldn't play this way. It doesn't, you know, being aggressive on fourth down, being a high pass rate doesn't map onto the offense we had to run with Russ. That has some credence to it. Some of that's a load of baloney. I think the general Seahawks criticizing public would love to say, we bullied the Seahawks into doing this, right? Like the Seahawks had that let Russ cook moment. They saw what a pass happy offense could be. It fell off the rails, but it taught Pete Carroll, like, oh, like if you, you could pass a lot in 2022 and it's good. That has some credence to it. There's also a lot of baloney to it. I don't. Th- I don't think the man who who went in, into the summer with the Geno Smith Drew Lock quarterback competition cared that much about being bullied into uh, any decisions. Yeah, and let's not even say like like the the media bullied him into it. Let's say like Russ did. Let's say Russ was like, I need to pass. I want to pass all the time. They're like, fine, Russ Cook, and then it didn't work over the course of a season. But in the first few weeks, it's like, oh, like actually, if yeah. you just kind of chuck it a lot, like you get some good things happening. You know, let's squirrel this away and see if you can use this later. But let's also not forget, you know, you talked about a Drew Locke, Geno Smith quarterback competition. Yeah, it was a Drew Locke. They didn't they didn't walk in being like, oh, now we have Geno. Time for, you know, 66% pass rate in fourth and four attempts. They thought Drew Locke was going to win this job, man. That was the message that they were sending in, in, in the summer was like, we really like Drew's talent. Pete said like three weeks ago, Drew is nipping at Geno's heels, right? Yeah. So it, it just, all of this goes to show you how really, 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 really thin the margins are, right? It's just a couple of things break your way, and all of a sudden, you're no longer the oldest coach in the league who still talks about the value of running the football. You're the oldest coach in the league who's got like an MVP candidate quarterback out of a guy who was on five other teams before he was with you. And it's just a couple of different things that change it. It just makes me love the chaos of the NFL all the more. Yeah, no, it's true. And your point is a good way. I don't want to come across and say all the criticism at the Seahawks over the last five, six, seven, eight years was unwarranted. I mean, absolutely some, you know, coaching decisions, him being conservative, even some of the run pass balance stuff that was, that was warranted. I think that criticism, but for this version of Carroll to emerge, with this team and this quarterback to me is uh, is one of the more fun things that has come out uh, of this season. And again, just a reminder to myself, listen, if a guy has a track record like he has, uh, sometimes he yeah. pre- you're, you're all, we're always at a uh, information deficit. You know what I mean? We can look into everything we know and report and analyze and numbers and film and everything. Uh, we're always at a bit of an information deficit. And so it's a good reminder to kind of humble ourselves as analysts when somebody has a track record to, all right, let's let's make sure we see the other side yeah. and are open to the possibility of success. The best grading scale for a head coach is always tenure. How long have you held the job? For an assistant coach and coordinator is the opposite. It's the worst thing in the entire world. If he's been there for 20 <laughs> years, it's bad. But for like a head coach, and like you look at your Harbaugh's, you look at your Tomlin's, you look at your Reeds, you look at your your Pete Carroll's, obviously your Bill Belichick's. If you've just 
survived a couple changes, front office guys leaving, assistants leaving, quarterback changes. Yeah, you're doing something right. I guess that's I, I was trying to think if I agreed with that or not with all the politics of the NFL. And, you know, sometimes I don't. That's but why the for assistants it doesn't count. Because the assistants, yeah. it's always nepotism. But okay. if you've done a head coaching yeah. job with that visibility yeah. for that long, <laughs> yeah, you're pulling nepotism. it off. It's true. Always, 100% of the time. This episode of the Ringer NFL show is brought to you by State Farm. All right, football fans, the good neighbors over at State Farm wanted me to let you know that you really don't have to get that personal to get the personal price plan. Seriously, there's no need to tell anyone that you still sleep in an old school pair of your team's pajamas or that you have a breakfast ritual on game days that you insist results in a win. Hey, sports fans can be weird. First Phillies playoff game I went to, I wore a certain hat, I wore a certain t-shirt, they won. Second game, what am I going to do? I'm going to wear the same one. Third game, what am I going to do? Wear the same one. Guess what? They were 3-0. and All right, sports fans, we're a little weird, but you don't have to get that personal. That's right. The State Farm Personal Price Plan simply helps you create an affordable price just for you like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm Personal Price Plan. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. What do you got? Roquan Smith, traded to the Baltimore Ravens. We've got trade deadline movement. Uh, for anybody who missed it, Bears linebacker Roquan Smith sent to uh, uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, in return, the Ravens sent to the Bears a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick, both in the upcoming draft of 2023. Uh, and they also sent A.J. Klein, which I always love when they do this. They're like, yeah, second-round, fifth-round pick. Oh, and do you want the guy we're not going to play anymore because we got him? Just like, you get first dibs, and then the other team's like, yeah, we'll AJ Klein will have eight tackles for us randomly in some game. Always tickles me. Uh, Roquan was in contract negotiations with the Bears this year. Uh, uh, had a hold in in camp because he felt like he was not getting the deal he deserved from the, the Bears. Represented himself. Moved on from his agent. Ryan Poles, the general manager in Chicago, claimed that he had, quote, record-breaking, end quote, parts of his contract offer to Roquan, which, okay, I don't know, like, best linebacker contract in the league. I feel like he would have taken that. Like, I don't know, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was a messy, messy, messy situation. Roquan ends his hold-in, uh, plays the, the over the course of the season for the Bears, plays quite well, I might add, um, but was not in the Bears' long-term plans. Important to note that Roquan is under contract uh, through, I want to say, the 2023 season. Uh, yeah, he was a 2018 first-round pick. So, excuse me, through, uh, into, into 2022, this is the fifth year uh, for Roquan Smith. So he'll be a free agent in 2023. Uh, Ravens, pretty obvious. Linebacker play is bad. Defense has been improving week over week, but Patrick Queen has been a liability for them. They can't have him be their primary linebacker at this point. He just guesses too much. He's not good enough against the run. Roquan solves a lot of problems for them. They're getting David Ojabo back. Their second-round pick out of Michigan, purported to be healthy. Tyus Bowser's coming off of IR. Reinforcements are coming uh, at the second level for the for the Ravens. They're going to get more talented on defense. I think this Ravens defense, which was disappointing to start the year, I think is improving week over week. I think this team is a legit AFC contender. I've talked about them on this pod before as like the third best team in the AFC. I still believe that. Bears angle. And this is the take. Selling the farm is not step one of the rebuild. It's step zero. And you don't get credit for doing it. There's a lot of Ryan Poles, like, ah, like Ryan Poles creating a clean slate. There's fill in the coffers, getting geared up for a big free agency run in 2023. Man, I could do that. I could, I could answer the phone and be like, hey, here are my good players. What's the best thing you'll give me for them? 
trading away good players for picks is the easiest thing in the world. You want to know why? Because the other 31 teams want to use the picks to get good players. That's how you build good football teams, is you have these resources, draft picks, cap space, and you use it to get the best players possible and build good teams. I will say you get credit. You get a little bit of credit for knowing that that's what your, your roster needs. You get a little bit of credit for selling ownership on it. because It's hard to sell ownership. I'm like, hey, we're just going to get rid of all the good players. Are you cool with that? Like, that's hard to do. So you get some small credit for having the self-awareness of saying, okay, we should probably just reset this roster. It's a little bit beaten up. The, the defensive you know, uh, a depth chart doesn't really map from Vic Fangio's system, Sean Desai's system, onto what we want to do with Matt Eberflus. we got to kind of turn this over. Let's take a year off. Like, that takes some humility. It takes some patience. There's a, plenty of, of potential general managers who don't have it, so sure. You get that. That's good. But let's not act like this is difficult or requires good general managing skill. Let's not act it's like, oh, good sign for Ryan Poles. He traded away Robert Quinn and Roquan Smith. Man, like, anybody <laughs> could do it. You just kind of get yeah. on the horn and you figure out who wants the good players. <laughs> The only way this is a good move is if it, it is returned with adequate value after the picks are made, which is not fair. Like, I, I say that, and I understand that's not fair. Like, that's, that's not real. I won't actually judge Ryan Poles, like, you know, I won't judge his second-round pick that he got from Roquan more harshly than the regular second-round pick they got. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you, as a general manager, create this big war chest and in doing so, it you, you are being patient. You are kind of punting on 2022. But with the way that like the Bears offense has been getting better week over week, and they kind of they hung around with the Cowboys for three quarters. They had the win against the Patriots. Like they've been close in games against the Giants, against the Vikings, against good teams that they should have beaten. Like this is this team had legs and polls stuck to his his motto, sell, sell, sell. Okay. You you better deliver on this war chest. You better not miss, especially because. You took this job knowing you don't get five years of rookie contract quarterback. You get four because Justin Fields already played one year. And then you decide to sell on a year. Now you get three. And that third year is the fifth year option. It doesn't really count. So now you get two. So if you're going to load up on 2023 picks and in doing so, move on from a 24-year-old multiple all-pro season linebacker, you better not miss. So I, I always, whenever we see these these general managers in these big rebuilds and these kind of sell phases, it's always like, great, they're doing the right thing. They are, but it's really not that hard. The hard thing is the next thing, and that's the thing I want my general manager to actually be good at. Uh, it's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. I think people have gone way too overboard. First of all, they traded him for a second and a fifth, and they traded Quinn for a fourth. This team doesn't have like, it's not like they have three first round picks all of a sudden. Like if they maximize the value and you went, oh my gosh, I can't believe what they got for player X. Then we can get in the conversation of, okay, uh, this was really smart. They're loading up. That wasn't really the case here. I mean, I could easily make the case that they botched this. And if they would have traded Robert Quinn when he was coming off an 18 and a half sack season uh, before this year even started and Roquan Smith when teams would have him for the full year, uh, you know, back when the, the the Bears brass took over last year, that they would have gotten better draft compensation. By the way, maybe they would have gotten draft compensation in last year's draft and already have those players in the building and maybe it'll be a little bit ahead of the rebuild. So I agree with you. I don't think they deserve any, uh, you know, uh, what? Gold stars? I don't need, I, I should know. I'm the one with the kids. Right. I don't know what they put on their uh, homework anymore. I, I think you make the point where, like, we've just a little bit gone too far down the mountain of, like, fans are so cognizant of good team building 
because like I think we as a, a football consuming public and as a football communicating media have done a great job of, of, of talking about like, hey, not every team has a chance to win the Super Bowl every season. Like it was just it was not useful for the Panthers to be like, let's build a contender. Like that was just not going to happen, man. So like yeah. you, you, your self-awareness is important. It's just it reaches a, a water's edge. And to me, things like, woohoo, my general manager traded the multiple all-pro linebacker for not a first-round right. pick. It's like, you know, it's just, it, it is good. And, and, and in my opinion, it's also like a little bit better return than I thought they'd get just because I thought the league knew they had no leverage on Roquan. Roquan hated the Bears by the end of this. He held out in camp and he was, his contract was going to expire. Like he, he was not going back to Chicago. So I, they got, yeah. like, I didn't think they could get a second. I thought the league would say, we'll wait eight months away for this guy to get on free agency. Kudos to the Ravens for saying, no, 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 let's get him in the building. The real reason the Ravens kind of get to do that, though, is because they have a little bit more cap room right now. It's because they haven't extended their quarterback. And now the Ravens have one franchise tag and one Lamar Jackson and one Roquan Smith. Yeah. And it's like, all right, they have plenty of cap space. They can get this done. They have two players in the building right now, both of whom represent themselves. Both of them have contracts expiring, neither, and they have one franchise tag. So Baltimore is like, for the next four months, it's like, oh, sick. Baltimore's got Roquan, they got Lamar, this yeah. is a great team. The moment <laughs> we hit the offseason, it's like, heck, you better sign somebody. This is a, they, 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 they were positioned to make this move, but it is an aggressive move. It's just saying, like, I, I, even forgetting that extra return on it, I will celebrate the Bears' rebuild when I see the young players get out on the field and actually help the existing cornerstone players that they have, which right now are what? Justin Fields, Jalen Johnson. Maybe on Justin Fields, I would say. Right, but like, like in terms of like yeah. functionally what you have to do, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't think they're going to yeah. draft a quarterback with all the other holes. So Fields, yeah, Jalen Johnson. I'm not uh, completely convinced They're not of drafting that. another quarterback. Yeah. Being ridiculous. Justin Fields, Jalen Johnson. <laughs> Tevin Jenkins, who's playing great at right guard. Like, yeah, and they don't have cornerstones right now. They just traded away Roquan, who is who is their their big defensive key piece. So it's it's I, I will celebrate the Bears rebuild when I actually see it start to work. I think the compensation is fine. Uh, I think the age is a big thing. It's hard to find all you know, like you said, Pro Bowl, all pro caliber players in their mid twenties. Those players are hard to find. Those are players you can build around and you can give them a, a four year contract if you like him. Now I don't know what kind of money he was asking for. We'll find that out. But generally when you draft a player and he turns into a great player and he's up for a second contract, those are the players you want to keep around. It's good for the culture. It shows the younger players, hey, grow here, you know, work with us. Uh be good on and off the field and we will reward you. And so that doesn't set a great precedent. Now, from the Ravens perspective, uh, I think it's okay. I don't love this move. I don't think I would have done this move if I were them. The move doesn't come with an extension. And so now is it a rental? Now you're giving up a second and a fifth for a rental or are you committed to paying him? And if you're committed to paying him, you're talking about 19 to $20 million per year uh, at the top of the linebacker market. So uh, what I like about the Ravens is what I just said. They focus on, hey, is there a really good player we can get who's not that old? Let's go get them. That's sort of how they drafted, you know, last year with uh, Linderbaum. That's what they do here. Hey, this guy's really good. It's a problem area. Let's go get him. So I don't hate the deal. I'm just a little more uh, on the fence because you mentioned it. Now you have to sign Lamar at a minimum of $46 million per year. Now you're going to be signing an off-ball linebacker at a minimum of 19 to $20 million per year. Is that where you want to put that money? Uh, I don't know. So we'll see what they decide to do. All right. My next take. The NFC is a three-team race 
between the Eagles, 49ers, and Cowboys, Cowboys to get to the Super Bowl. We can say we don't have to say goodbye to everyone else. There are some cute teams in there. Listen, if you're a fan of one of the other teams, you could have a fun season. You'll get in the playoffs. But if we want to talk serious, who's playing yes. in Glendale, Arizona, representing the NFC? It's a three-team race now, and barring uh, crazy injuries, it's going to be a three-team race in December, in January, and two of those three teams will be playing the final conference championship weekend. I've seen enough from everybody else. So let me give you the case. I don't know if you agree or disagree or have a team that you think now, should you be You saw in me there. balancing on the Zoom. I'm in with this. Yeah, I never, I never, I don't, I don't know what that means. That could mean, oh, I'm going to come at him with this or it could mean, yeah, I'm on board with this. So no, we'll find it. out. It. It's only week nine. A lot can change. Eagles, I don't have to make much of a case. You can link, listen to the Ringers Philly special with Solak and I. They're seven and oh, and they have the easiest remaining schedule in the NFL, according to Football Outsiders, Benjamin. I don't know if you, if you knew that or not. The easiest remaining schedule in the NFL and they're seven and 49ers. Here's the case. Christian McCaffrey. I, I said on this pod last week, reckless, uh, but fun. Ooh, we saw the fun part. Yeah. My gosh, he took over that game. I mean, that's a 17, 14 game going into the fourth quarter. And he just comes through on like seven plays in high leverage situations. They're playing with Debo Samuel. And honestly, you kind of forgot they were playing without Debo Samuel because McCaffrey was doing so much. Now you picture that offense with Debo, with McCaffrey, with Kittle, with Ayuk. Trent Williams is back. They just have so many all pro caliber players. I mean, the guys I just mentioned. And then on defense, you have Warner and you have Bosa. Uh, they're well coached. They had the fourth easiest remaining schedule in the NFL, by the way, according to Football Outsiders DVOA. And they're like a battle-tested group. They've been there. You know, they played in these big games, a lot of these guys, before. So I have them in the mix. I think they have a Super Bowl ceiling. And then the Cowboys, that was the seventh best offensive performance by any team this season in a single game, what they delivered yeah. uh, in terms of EPA per drive Sunday. It'll never happen again because they need Zeke to run the offense. So they can't have the seventh <laughs> best offensive performance of the season. They can't keep doing that. They need to get back to what was actually working, which was having offensive performances worse than the seventh best offensive performance of the season. Yeah, I mean, what Jerry should really do is just find someone to anonymously call like the, the opponents that they're playing and ask them, would you rather see Tony Pollard or Zeke? Because my goodness, Tony Pollard with the burst he showed in that game, Juice. he was an explosive play waiting Zippy to happen every time he touches the ball. Michael Gallup, I thought, looked uh, you know better than he has probably all season. Dak looked great. We know their defense is good, even if that wasn't their best game. And they have the fifth easiest remaining schedule. So I think those are the three teams. Uh, maybe I'll change my mind in a few weeks and I'll say I was dumb. I have had a habit of doing that on this pod. Uh, ben, am I missing anybody? You say, Sheil, what about this team? Why aren't they in there? Or do you agree that's a three-team race from now until conference championship weekend? I promise I'm trying to watch the Vikings and figure it out. And I just, I don't. Like, I, I just don't see a team that is like a contending caliber team. I see an absolutely good team. Like if you gave the Vikings, you know, forgive me, like an improvement at quarterback, but also I think if you gave them a stronger outside corner room and a little bit more aggressive of a defensive coordinator, then I'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah for sure. But I just, I don't, I don't see this team playing three good passing offenses in the NFC playoffs and beating all three, which I guess like if they get the Niners, 
it's just two, but also it's not really because the Niners, they can always make it happen. You know what I mean? What I love about Vikings fans, and you know, as you go into like a national role, you kind of find out which fan bases are insecure and which are Vikings fans. I can tell you right now, and Vikings fans, if you're listening, let us know if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I would highly doubt that they actually believe in this team. They're probably like, this is cool. It's a change up. It's fun to be six and one, but no, take us seriously. What are you nuts? We've seen these guys uh, too long. I thought they tried to kind of, you know, give away that game, honestly, against the Cardinals on Sunday. The Cardinals had all kinds of opportunities, bad interception by Kyler Murray block in the back. They had the third down snap where the ball gets snapped in Kyler Murray's face, which is like a weekly thing for them. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm with you. I don't buy it with the Vikings. In terms of like losing a football game, Vikings try to lose a football game every week. You know who does a really good job <laughs> trying to lose football games every week? The Arizona Cardinals. And don't you worry about a thing. Yes. Um. So yeah, I was asked on a radio hit this week, like who are the Super Bowl teams? And it's Bills, Ravens, Chiefs in the AFC right now. And it's Eagles, Niners, Cowboys in the NFC. And there was that, that period in like early October where we were like, oh, where are all the good teams, man? Bills are good. Eagles are good. Chiefs just lost to the Colts. Where are the good teams? The Ravens have been under your nose. Cowboys have been under your nose the whole time. There was stuff to figure out. Unlike like the Eagles and the Bills were just like deleting people. There was stuff to figure out, but these 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 teams have been there. The Ravens, you you put on Ravens football, that's as good of a team as you're going to see playing in the AFC or the NFC. You put on Niners football right now, defense especially, that's as good of a team. Cowboys, defense, good as a team. Like, this whole, like, there's no, this is a weird year with parody. There's no good teams. No, no, no. They've been there. The Ravens, Niners, and Cowboys are a very legitimate second tier of NFL teams right now. All three of them could go the distance. Wouldn't be surprised. There you go. The Bucks. I've been hanging on the Bucks for a while, but uh, I don't know why it looks like Tom Brady and Mike Evans met like five minutes before kickoff uh, three times a game where they're not on the same page. The O-line injuries, I think, are too much. Now Shaq Barrett's out for the season. Giants are a fun story, but I'm not taking them seriously as a Super Bowl contender. Packers, I thought that wasn't the most devastating performance on Sunday, to be honest, but they ruined their chances in the offseason with how they handled their wide receiver situation. And the Rams have been outscored, mm-hmm. Ben, now by 39 points only the uh, on the season. Only the Lions and the Steelers have a worse point differential than the Rams this season. Okay, go ahead. What do you got? What is is this your third take? I'm losing track. Yeah, this is take number three because I have the extra point. Okay. Stats coming off of the dome for you. Five games, 119 for 184, completion percentage of 65%, uh, 1,338 passing yards, 15 touchdowns to four interceptions, 5-0. and So PJ Walker did in the XFL in 2020. Oh, a PJ Walker take. He was the best player in that XFL. <laughs> He was he was evidently the, the 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 guy, and he was the guy that teams are calling for after that 2020 season. Of course, that 2020 season was, as we know, immediately abridged by the onset of COVID-19 there in March. Uh, in May, Walker wrote through the Players Tribune a piece about why the NFL needed the XFL, and I want to read a piece of, a, a part of that piece because I got to say this is we've done we're in what week. This is the most unexpected moment in extra point taken history. Ben Solak is going to read a Players' Tribune piece from P.J. Walker on the XFL. I'm very excited. Hit me with it. I haven't read this piece. I read this today and I got emotional, which is why I wanted to read it. Oh. Uh, Most people hear XFL, they think pro wrestling and he hate me jersey stuff. Everyone remembers the old XFLs. Uh, the new league I played in was still owned by Vince McMahon, but there was nothing pro wrestling about it. It was real football. Most XFL teams are really, really good. No gimmicks, no controversies. 
And I felt like the longer the season would have gone, the better the league would have gotten. More intense, more competitive. Beyond that, the best thing about the XFL was that it gave guys who are in the fringes of pro football the opportunity to go out there and play and show what they can do. There are so many great, talented players on NFL rosters that the league just isn't big enough for everybody to play, and that's a shame. The XFL was important to so many guys. It's hard to single out names because I don't want to leave anybody out because there are just a lot. If the season had gone on, most of them would definitely be getting their chances to play in the NFL. I believe that. I mean, some of them already are, like me. He wrote that May 2020. He signed with the Panthers. He would play his first game for the Panthers in 2020 following a Teddy Bridgewater injury. I'm here to tell you, of the quarterbacks I've seen the Carolina Panthers trot onto the football field in the last three seasons, the best one I've seen play is P.J. Walker. P.J. Walker against the Bucks and against the Atlanta Falcons was making grown man downfield progression throws from inside of the pocket. How in God's name a player with that ability was on the depth chart and was quarterback four behind Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Matt Corral this offseason? I have no idea. Zero surprise that the head coach who was responsible for that was fired, especially when it was P.J. Walker's temple connection to Matt Rule that got him there in the freaking first place. Unbelievable. The fact that they, in the first game he played, only had him against the Rams thrown behind the line of scrimmage, equally inexcusable. But it goes back to the point that P.J. made. give, Give a talented player a window. Create more opportunities for fringe NFL players, and some guys will surprise you. P.J. Walker right now is the herald for developmental leagues. So this is an NFL take, and then it's an outside-the-NFL take. The inside-the-NFL take is that P.J. Walker is the best quarterback the Panthers have put on the field for three seasons. If he continues to play the way he played in the last two weeks against Tampa and against Atlanta, which, two banged-up secondaries. I understand. He's got a slew of tough defenses upcoming. they got to play Dallas. they got to play, like, Buffalo. I don't know how Buffalo got on the Panthers' schedule. they they got to play some tough defenses. There's a chance that this comes crashing down. If he plays like he's played the last two weeks, he should absolutely be in contention for the Panthers starting quarterback job. I don't really care who they draft one overall. This is this, this, this has been NFL caliber play the last two weeks. So number one is P.J. Walker right now is auditioning to contend for a starting job, probably in Carolina, but if not there somewhere else next year. He's 27 years old. He can do work with his legs. He can throw downfield accurately into tight windows. He can read defenses. This is a pro player. Number two take, outside of the NFL, let's get these developmental leagues back up, right? The, the, the XFL has kind of like changed hands and they've been reorganized and the USFL is paired with the NFL. But man, oh man, like every week I watch PJ Walker play, I just think to myself, I want to see Quentin Flowers again, man. I want to see some more of these players. I want to see some more of these quarterbacks get opportunities. It's so cool that this guy came out of the XFL, stuck on a roster through COVID, was quarterback four, and is now starting and going to overtime with the Atlanta Falcons, a 67 and a half yard DJ Moore, Hail Mary bomb, man. It's awesome. So kudos to PJ. He's playing well and deserves to be highlighted. Kudos to the XFL for bringing this player along. He's fun. I mean, he's fun to watch. I I, I can't tell you. I've broken down the PJ Walker film and can tell you whether I think he has uh, staying power or not. But, you know, one of my longstanding theories is that for sports fans, it should be less about winning championships and more about do you enjoy the time you spent with the team you root for and the team whose jersey you buy and the team you buy tickets to and the team you talk about with your friends and all those things. And he's been way more fun than their other uh, quarterbacks that they've played and I'm just I just pulled up his uh, stats here I just wanted to look at every start by a Panthers quarterback in the last three years there's been 43 starts 
by Panthers quarterbacks. And his last two among that group have ranked 11th and 15th. So it goes to what you're saying. I mean, he, he has, and those have been his first two in a situation with a team that just fired its coach and not a lot going for it. It's not like he's dropped in to a great situation. This kind of goes to the Geno thing. I mean, there will be, you know, the cases for giving guys shots who have not gotten a shot who you feel like have something to them, you know, the Geno thing sort of adds more yeah. credibility to that, that, you know, it feels like a lot of times they haven't worked out, but something like that works out. And it's like, Hey, maybe you should look at this guy um, a little bit more. So I think that's a good one. I don't have a uh, strong take for you on the developmental leagues, right. but I like, listen, I like, uh, you know, when you like uh, cover a, a, a team, uh, as like a beat reporter and you get to know like the guys who are just fighting for it and how much it means to them and those things like those are fun stories and makes it very meaningful and so if if that allows more guys to have opportunities and the talent to rise to the surface and them to live a lifelong dream whether it's for one year whether it's for one week or whatever those stories are really cool because you see how much these guys actually put into it the guys on the bottom of the roster on the practice squad the guys in camp yeah. who are just like want a tryout uh, it is so cool when those stories come out. So I think that's a good one. And that's PJ's point, right? Is they like, like PJ was the best player in the XFL and is now playing really well in the NFL. That's wonderful. But the idea is like, Hey, if this league, like the XFL was the most successful development league we were having the pre COVID one, right? Like it was like the games are competitive. They were doing interesting stuff. They were actually scoring points, right? It wasn't like the AAF where it was just like really tough to watch. This was legit. And it was like, if we just could have gone on longer, could have really gotten this plane off the ground, then COVID hit. And that happened for a lot of things. That's why it's important to reinvest in the developmental leagues. We can't forget that we were doing that pre-COVID. Because if if there's a legitimate developmental league for fringe roster guys, you're going to get more stories like P.J. Walker and get more players like P.J. Walker, hugely to the benefit of the league, if you can. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Sweat. You mean armpit tears of weakness brought about by poor deodorant choices? Say goodbye to that salty river that floweth from your underarm with Old Spice Swagger Antiperspirant. Made for 24-7 sweat protection with daily use and an undeniable smell of cedarwood and lime. Mm. Giving you the confidence you need to quit your job, move to a remote island, and spend your days frolicking with dolphins. Old Spice Swagger Antiperspirant. Shop Old Spice now. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, my last one. I don't think you're going to like this one. The Trevor Lawrence experience has left me wanting more. Benjamin Solak. Now let me Man, get all the caveats. Let me wanting more too. I'm not loving oh, this. It does. Okay. I wasn't sure. He's pl- let me be clear. He's playing fine. He's a competent starter. You you watch it statistically, you know, however you want to break it down. He looks like a competent starter. There are a few things that leave sort of a bad taste in my mouth. One is the negative plays. I mean, he had that red zone interception uh, this last week in the London yeah. game where he's had that exact interception already this year. It's in, it's in the red zone. I mean, it's first down. You have a chance to go 14 nothing. You you go you bootleg out to the right. You don't need to make that throw. He has three red zone interceptions in eight games. Only Kirk Cousins has more than one among the rest of the starters. So I just like, let, let's learn from some of those mistakes. I know you're young, but you don't need those negative plays later. He has an intentional grounding when the Jaguars are in field goal range. Like these are plays that matter when you're losing all these one score games like the Jaguars are. Number two, the accuracy. And I'm I'm curious to hear, you know, what you think of it, of that one when, it, when I'm finished here. But I just feel like he misses throws every week. And it's it's just erratic. He missed one to Marvin Jones on a third and eight. He missed one to Evan Ingram on a corner route. Every quarterback misses throws. Nobody's perfect. It feels like his accuracy is a little bit uh, more erratic than I was anticipating. And then the third one, I want to see him create more. Like I was sold on Trevor Lawrence as a generational prospect, the arm, the athleticism. Uh, When they boot him and move him out of the pocket, he makes some unbelievable throws. He makes some of his best throws, some of his best plays. But I thought there would be more like, hey, you know, come up with an answer here and do something. Like I thought he had the physical tools to do that. And you watch an entire game and you don't see him do that once. Uh, I know scrambling isn't everything, but you, you know, you did a good job talking about scrambling last week. He ranks 20th in total EPA on scrambles this year, just ahead of Matthew Stafford. Like that should not be the case. Why is he not picking up a few first down, a couple first downs every game uh, with his legs? And so those are some of the things that stood out to me. Again, he's you know he's doing a lot of the things within the structure of the offense, the decision making. But then those are some of the things that leave me thinking like, oh. You know, you felt like he would be the reason they would be winning more games this year. And too often it's felt like there's been games or moments where it feels like he is the reason uh, why they're losing some of these close games, some of these one score games. And so um, that's just where I am with with him. I think a lot of people probably watched him for the first time. Maybe not the first time, but maybe a full game because they were playing in that London game uh, against the Broncos last week. I think we were both bullish on the Jaguars coming into the season. He had the bad game in the rain against the Eagles. But I remember even after week one, that game against the Commanders, I'm going... They left some plays on the field. They easily could have won that game. So uh, what do you think about my critiques there of Lawrence? And where are you with him after eight weeks? Yeah, so I'll start by saying I did not see much of the Broncos game at all. London games happen during church. I always miss these London games. Drives me nuts. Uh, With that said, the red zone interception thing to me, that's the thing where like I'm, I'm most pissed. That's the thing where it's the most frustrating is just like, I, I said this after the game and people got really mad at me for it, but it's like I keep on watching this Lawrence season as his rookie season. To me, just like the, the 2021 season for Trevor Lawrence is just so emphatically useless. And like, yeah, I, I know why people don't like that take because it feels 
like unnecessarily excusatory, but I always say like Urban Meyer was not a bad coach. He was the worst coach. It it wasn't bad. It was horrible. Do we want to play the who were his top receivers in 2021 game again? Right? Uh, Leading receiver, Marvin Jones. Second, LaVisca Chenault was traded away for peanuts to the Carolina Panthers. Third was Laquan Treadwell. Yeah. Dan Arnold with Brian Schottenheimer and Daryl Bevel coordinating the offense. Inexcusably misunderstood. Like, like, it, w- it was not a real year. So if you frame this as his first year, you, you, a lot of the stuff that doesn't make sense, like he doesn't know when to scramble and like he wants everything to be in the pocket and everything to be perfect. And he has this progressions every play. Like that makes sense. He's got this like decision paralyzation that a lot of rookies have. They don't know when to just like, you know, take the positive play and go. Uh, you, you know, the, um, the, the big misses of, of inaccuracy that starts to make a little bit more sense because he's trying to make every single throw perfect. He's got some Herbert syndrome to him where like Herbert's like, all right, the textbook said, one to two to three. If it's middle of the field closed, you go to the running back in the flat. And then you're this, this, like, hey, you're just an alien. So if you want to just like run, you can do yes. that. Like, he's very they, robotic. I feel like yes. on the chalkboard, how they every single time, that is what mm-hmm. he's doing, which probably pleases the coaches. But yeah, sometimes I want to be like, dude, you were you were built as a generate. You have tools that not a lot of people have. Yeah. Let's see them on display a little bit more. You have to know that because you're better than a lot of the other players that you can make decisions to just put more of the game in your hand, and that's excusable. That's acceptable. That's reasonable. The red zone interception is the thing where you just kind of want to grab him by the scruff of the neck and be like, buddy, you're good. Stop. You don't got to prove. You don't got to always seven. This is childish stuff. Stop. when you like, And like Zach Wilson's doing the same thing. When you feel yourself near the, the sideline, behind the line of scrimmage, the defense won. Get into the huddle, second and goal. Get into the huddle, third and goal. This is, these aren't happening on fourth and goal. This isn't happening on, okay, right. the risk-reward calculus has changed. These are happening on early downs in the middle of games. So the first thing you, I would do is I would just start running the football. You don't, you don't get the ball inside the five anymore. You misbehave it, right? Like this, this, this is unreasonable, and you know it. You, you've, you've played enough football to know that this is the, this is the red area. We don't turn the ball over here. Uh, so first you start running the football. And then secondly, you make you you have to be able to communicate with him and say, like, listen, like uh, Bill Barnwell wrote wonderfully about the 2021 quarterback class for ESPN. I encourage everybody to read it. And in it, he brought up like Trevor Lawrence is like seventh in EPA per play before he gets to the 20 yard line. You're doing it. You're doing great, sweetie. Stop this. And you're and the offense is going to be fine. It's going to work. We're going to win games. You don't need to, like, you know, emphatically punch every drive with a contested Evan Ingram closing window touchdown. There's no need for this. I was getting a funny visual there of you grabbing Trevor Lawrence and telling him he's misbehaving. I, again, I don't want to ask people for with Photoshop skills to uh, do anything to get the extra point taken brand uh, elevated a little bit, but I'm also not telling you that you're not allowed to do that uh, either. Right. All right, Ben, finish this out with the extra point. What do you got? This week on Extra Point, it is trade deadline season. Thereby, it's not Christmas, it's Halloween, but I have a wish list anyway. Okay. Trade deadline, big name, wish list, landing spots. And then we go to Shio Kapadia for his take on what I would like to see tomorrow. I, I said earlier today uh, on Twitter, I'm feeling a big trade deadline. I'm feeling it in my bones. I just, I, I like the, the storms are brewing. Like my knee is sore. Like I don't know how it's that works. It's always disappointing. 
It You're is. Trying to wish it this, into existence. I feel it. And right after okay. I said that, Roquan got traded. So the portentions right. are there. The, the signs. Yes. Okay. We start with Naeem Hines. Uh, reports this evening as we record Monday evening, there's going to be a lot of Naeem Hines trade. I'd like to see Naeem Hines on the Giants. I think it's super fun. Like Matt Breda is cool in terms of being the second back, but two running backs back there who can both catch, they can both line up out wide, do the freaky weird stuff on offense. That one's very fun. Uh, Albert Okuwebunam, the tight end for the uh, Denver Broncos. I'd like to see him the Philadelphia Eagles. Talk about this on the Philly special. The Eagles need a backup tight end. Jerry Judy, I would like to see on the Los Angeles Chargers. Brandon Cooks, I would like to see on the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers so badly need a receiver who can stretch the field. They have no juice at receiver right now. Keenan Allen is apparently still not practicing this week. It's the world's longest hamstring injury for Keenan. They're going to be playing Michael Bandy again at receiver. They really need to get the help. Are they going to be able to get Jerry Judy out of an interdivisional team? I doubt it. I still want to see it. This is my wish list. William Jackson, corner for the Bengals. Get into the Falcons. Falcons, uh, corner one, AJ Terrell is great. Corner two is Casey Hayward, extremely weak. Falcons are leading the NFC South right now. Why not get a little bit frisky with the trade? William Jackson gives you, I think, two corners you trust in man coverage on the outside and makes you stronger on defense. Cam Akers, I don't even know why we're kind of like caring about the whole Cam Akers thing. Like, it's just no, he's, I don't think, I don't he's think very, anybody's very good. trading for Cam Akers. Yeah, it's, I, I sent him to the Saints for a late round pick. Mark Ingram is really, really bad this year. Go get another really, really bad depth running back and see if he's a little bit better. You don't want to be running Kamara into the ground. Kamara coming off the injury, getting a little bit old. Uh, Kareem Hunt, I have going to the Rams. That feels extremely Ramsey, right? Like big name. He was once a star. It's going to make us so much better and then it doesn't really happen. Uh, Kendrick Bourne to the Raiders. Let's get a Josh McDaniels transplant into Las Vegas. If they insist on being like spread the wealth, we don't throw it to Devontae Adams. The Mac Hollins experience has been weirdly great, but let's get more receiving talent into the building. If we're going to play it this way, you need to get more depth at receiver. As as I said on the scramble last week, real quick, Mac Hollins talking junk this year has been one of the most underrated storylines uh, in the NFL. You just and I watched Mac Hollins and just for a and just years, yelling, man. I am that dude. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Sorry. Go Honestly, ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Like, you had to get that in there. It's so annoying how good Josh McDaniels is at unlocking and utilizing bad players in the framework of how bad he is at using good players. Like, it'd be so, like, this is such a cool trait. Like, like you used to do this all these, like, pass-catching backs and these, like, random, you know, transplant receivers, these small slots. Now, like, all oh, Matt Collins. Like, it's so cool that he's pulling this off. Also, can you please get the ball to Devontae Adams? This should not be the hard yeah. part of the job. This should be the easy part. <laughs> um, a couple right. more. Cindy Jones uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys with a potential Jordan Lewis injury needs corner depth. Sidney Jones right now just kind of like chilling in Seattle, not playing. He's been quality over the last couple of years. I think you get him to Dallas. And then uh, Bradley Chubb to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I love the idea of John Schneider calling Denver back up and being like, hey, I know it didn't go great for you last time we were here, George Payton, but I could use a teammate for Uchenna Nwosu. It's been wonderful off the edge for them. Bradley Chubb's outside linebacker. He can drop a little bit. Uh, he, he's obviously going to be a high-quality pass rusher, going to kind of round out what's a really good defensive run for the Seahawks. And actually, I realized I forgot, Josh Allen, the edge from the Jaguars, sent him to the Dolphins. Uh, Dolphins, like I said, if they can get better on defense, they need corner depth, and I think they need edge help as well. 
Uh, Jalen Phillips has developed a nice player for them, but they need more in the pass rush. Josh Allen's ability to drop and blitz works for them really, really well at outside linebacker. Uh, all right, I have two comments. I'm not going to comment on every one of these because we would have to do a whole nother uh, episode there, but I did it's enjoy Ben's that. It's Ben's trade deadline wish yeah. list for the extra point. Yeah, yeah. I-, I did enjoy that. So I'm going to tell you the ones I really liked from this. Uh, well, no, first of all, what I thought was funniest is you asked for a trade deadline with Juice and then, you know, some of these names here, you'd have to be a real football. Oh, Albert O to the Eagles as a second tight end. I don't think that's going to lead ESPN uh, Sports Center, Ben, but you gave me some juicy ones. You gave me some juicy ones. I did it ones. in the, order the, yeah. of guys whose names I found. <laughs> <laughs> rumored on like trade deadline reported right. pieces. Okay. Brandon Cooks to the Chargers. I'll tell you what, that's the favorite, my favorite one that I have not yep. heard anyone say yet. That's a great one. Get an adult, a professional, pencil him in for a thousand. I mean, if you, he gets a thousand yards wherever he goes. He knows what he's doing. He fits well. Herbert throwing bombs to him. Give yourself some insurance. Uh, that's my favorite one among the ones that you mentioned here. I'm looking at the rest of them. Kareem Hunt to the Rams, I could definitely see. And I thought that Bradley Chubb to the Seahawks, I loved. I haven't heard that yeah. one rumored. I mean, yeah, they they went into the season needing pass rush. As I said, pass rush, corners, tackle, and quarterback, I thought. They've got some young players. But yeah, you can never have enough pass rush. They could use some more pass rush. I think he compliments Nawosu's a little jack-of-all-trades type guy. You know, Chubb, just take, hey, get after the passer, pin your ears back. Yeah. I like that fit there. Okay. All right. I'll give you Good I'll job, give you one you. I'll give you one ludicrously spicy one, unnecessarily hot. Okay. For the sake Derek Carter of the Jets. Yes, sure. Because <laughs> Mac Is Jones that what to you're gonna Raiders. say? No, oh, I was gonna say Mac okay. Jones to the Raiders. Okay. Let's do let's get them both done. Derek Carr, eminently movable. Mac Jones, for some reason not liked in New England right now. Let's get a midseason. Starting quarterback trade at the deadline. Double swap. Please. Let's get a double swap. Derek Carr goes to the Jets. The Jets all of a sudden are going to be real fun down the stretch with Derek Carr. Mac Jones goes to the Raiders. He already knows their system. And Patriots fans can get what they want. And Bailey Zappi, because this mystery of what happened to the quarterback you drafted in the first round last year who played well and got you to the playoffs. And then everyone all of a sudden turned on very quickly and something weird happened and he wasn't playing well. And we'll find out in a Seth Wickersham book uh, 10 years from now. Uh, I like it. it. It's spicy. Good one. All right. Uh a reminder, as I do every week, I'm hosting the Thursday show, The Scramble on the Ringer NFL feed. Can have Steven Ruiz on this week. We're going to break down some of the trades that might happen that Ben Solang suggested. So you can email us for the mailbag segment, the scramble mailbag at gmail.com. That's the scramble mailbag at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Ben, what do you need to plug? I'm on the pods and I write the pieces. So where the, the Ringer is on YouTube. Sheet, the YouTube on YouTube. Thank you. Uh, Ringer okay. Philly special and the Ringer NFL shows and the ringer.com slash NFL and at Benjamin Solica at uh, Twitter. Tuesday on this feed, you will get the Power Rankers. Wednesday, you'll get Nora Princiati on the island. All right, thank you to Ben Solak. Thank you to for Christopher Sutton for producing additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. We will talk to you next week on Extra Point Ticket. 